Hi, this is Sam Chan, and welcome to the Sam Chan Leadership Podcast. It is my honor to serve you, help you achieve your dreams. Let's do this together. Where, where am I? I think, so, so think about a GPS, think about a GPS. So you can enter the address, but unless you allow the GPS to, to know where you are, it cannot take you to where you are going. And a lot of times when making decisions, especially major decisions, we don't pause to ask ourselves a simple question. Where am I? Where are we? Is it the right time? Is it the right place? Because all that is a context, that is all part of where am I? The second question there is, where do I want to go? Where do we want to go? The clearer you are about your destination, the better the GPS can take you there. Uh, Now, there will be times in your life in which you will say, we will know it when we get there. There will be those times, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But when you clarity uh, of communication lacking so often, I think everybody communicates, but not everybody's clear about their communication. They talk in abstract terms, and most of the people, 98% of people you're going to lead are going to be concrete people. So let me talk about that for a moment, concrete and abstract. As a leader, most of our language, I'm speaking in a generic way now, most of our language is abstract language. Uh, 98% of people you're going to lead are going to be concrete. So, so you are, you speak two languages. You, you're a, you are bilingual. You speak abstract and you speak concrete. Almost everybody you're going to lead are going to be concrete. Concrete thinkers, concrete speakers, concrete listeners. Uh, most people you're going to talk to when they give you a situation, a challenge, a problem, their question will be concrete. What should I do? That's concrete a question as it gets. What should I do? What do you want me to do? When should I do it? How do you want me to do it? When do you want it done? How much money do you want to spend? Those are concrete, tactical questions. The challenge is the dissonance between you and the people you're leading. So you speak, your primary language is uh, abstract. Your secondary language is concrete. You are bilingual, you speak two languages. People you are leading are almost all of them are monolingual. They speak only, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a church example. Uh, you say to your volunteers, your leaders, <clears throat> you say something like, you say something like, we want to reach our community for Jesus. We want to reach our community for Jesus. That's an abstract word. Concrete people are saying, so how will that be? Will that be uh, door-to-door when we used to be able to do that? Will there be training for it? 
Uh, when will they do training? I tell you what, if they do training on Tuesday nights, I know I cannot come on Tuesday nights. And if Josh is teaching that, I'm not coming for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, today is throw Josh under the bus day. <laughs> so, yeah, make you famous, Josh. So, so there's Josh. Uh, so, because you're speaking abstract, they are asking concrete questions. Give you another example altogether. I'm working uh, as a client, one of my client churches is uh, in the process of uh, redoing their organization. So right now they have 52 employees and they are going to whittle it down to 23. So without telling me anything about how they were gonna do it, they thought they could do it themselves, obviously. Uh, so they went into a staff meeting and this is what the pastor said. So they did this in the first uh, uh, part of September. This is what the pastor said. Hey, so glad to see all of you. It was an in-person meeting. All 52 of them are there. Said, hey, good to see you all. Uh, we are going to be making some changes. We're going to be making some changes. And we're going to be letting you know about those changes, some major changes, first part of October. Number one, we're going to be making some changes. Number two, everybody on this call knows what's the only thing that those people heard. Who's going to lose their job? <laughs> That's it. That's it. So the pastor is talking in, in abstract terms. We're going to be making some changes. There are going to be some major changes. We will let you know in first part of October. 52 of them heard only one thing. You may not have a job. And so the challenge is you as abstract leaders, abstract thinkers, abstract communicators, walk into concrete rooms and still are speaking abstract. It would be just like me speaking my language, Hindi. So I said to you, you didn't understand that. I simply asked you, how are you? So you go in there speaking a totally different language. You're speaking abstract and they're thinking concrete. And that is why it is incumbent on you. I'm talking, I'm answering the second question. Where are we and where do we want to go? Second question, where do we want to go? Where do I want to go? You've got to be as concrete as you possibly can in uh, laying out your goals, laying out your objectives. The more numbers you put to things, the better off you are. So it's not, it's not, <clears throat> it's not like we want to grow our uh, Gen X. It'll be, we want to grow our Gen X at the end of the year by 15%. I like percentages rather than numbers because numbers can be uh, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unrealistic, but percentages is the best way to measure because that percentage tells you this is where we are at. So for you to do a percentage, if I said, I want you to grow your, your youth group by 100 by the end of the year, the question does not beg how many you have right now. But if I said to you, I'd like for you to grow your youth group by 15% by the end of the year, to do percentages, you've got to know where you're at right now. 
So that answers both questions. Where are we, where am I, and where do I wanna go? So what I would say to all of you as leaders is uh, obsess with clarity, obsess with clarity. After, I, I wanna say this to you, in church, in church, you will never be clear enough. Please know that in church, you will never ever be clear enough. So that means you gotta be clear and then be clear about being clear and then be clear about being clear about being clear. Ask questions, tell people to ask questions. If you see somebody with a question mark on their face, uh, pull them out after, after the meeting is over and said, I saw a question mark on your face. Are you really clear about what we talked about? Don't assume, don't assume. Because I want to tell you, if you ask people, if you say to them in a meeting, you know what I mean? Is everyone clear? They're all going to nod their head. And then you know, all of you, in which you drew pictures for them, you wrote it out for them, you met with them, and they still did not get it clearly. So you will never be clear. Number three, so question number two was, uh, where are we, where am I? Question number two was, where do we, where do I want to, to go? Uh, number three is, what or who is in the way? What or who is in the way? What or who is in the way? Unless you're brutally honest about that, you will live in denial. You will live in denial. You've got to know what is in the way. Maybe time is in the way. I don't have enough attention is in the way. Uh, maybe I got too much on my desk that's in the way. Uh, maybe I don't have enough money. Maybe I don't have enough facilities. Maybe I don't have enough people. Maybe whatever it is, what is in the way? And who is in the way? In most cases, it is a who that is in the way. And as long as you allow another who to determine your trajectory in life, you'll always remain uh, subservient to them. So don't let anybody else determine uh, your direction or your dreams. So who or what is in the way? And the final question is, how do we get there? Yes, question. I see somebody waving at me, so you can, I think you're by yourself. Yes, sir. Dr. Chan, my name is John Torres. I just had a quick question for you. When it comes to who's in the way, how do you determine sometimes between, okay, this is a, a staff person or a team that I need to develop, or I have to like shift it all together for us right. to stay on mission? That's a real good question. So stay on the line, stay on the line with me. Okay. So when you are, whoever you are thinking of right now, do they have potential? Yes. Okay. What environment have you created to see if they have the ability to tap into their potential? Uh, projects, throwing projects that I think intersect with their gifts. Um, All right. That's fine. Okay. 
and what conversations have you had with them about that? So initially it was a, a deadline issue, deadlines not being met. Uh, so it became an issue around, hey, do you understand the project? Do you understand what's going on? Do you understand my goal in giving you the project? Uh, and then it, it turned into, uh, hey, what are you passionate about? How can we get you happy about this role? Do you see its correlation with the overall mission? Uh, is that answering the question? Kind of, sort of. So this is what I would suggest to you. Whenever I'm asked that question, my first, my first bullet is a, what I call a personal development plan. A personal development plan. And I'm going to tell you how that conversation goes. Yeah. And your, your name, uh, Jonathan? Yes, sir. Jonathan? Okay. Jonathan. So I would say to you, hey, Jonathan, can we talk? When's a good time for us to talk? And I'll make an, an actual appointment with you. Uh, probably two, three days away. Now, the reason for me doing that, even though I can talk to you right now, the reason I want to do it two, three days away is I want you to wonder about what do they want me want to talk about. <laughs> I want you to wonder. I want you to look under every rock. I want he may talk about this. He might talk about that. Maybe not about that. I want you to have a conversation with your wife. You know, Sam Chen said he wants to talk to me. Uh, man, he, he, he's going to talk to me next week. Do you, what do you think he's going to talk to me about? Oh, you're going to lose your job. He's going to fire you, you know? That's what your wife says to you because she knows you're a slacker. So, <laughs> she, she, know, she knows you don't meet deadlines. She knows that you say you're going to do something, you don't do it. Yeah, she knows all that. So, uh, I want to... I want to live in your head for two, three days, okay? I want you to wonder about. So what will happen is that Jonathan is going to drop me hints that he wants to know what I'm talking about. You must send me a text saying, praying for our conversation or what you're going to I mean, you're going to go fishing. And I should give you something like looking forward to it. It's going to, you know, just, but not, it's going to be good. It's going to be bad. I want you to, I want you to go inside your head and ask people around you, what do you think this is all about? So that suspense is very crucial. Mm. Then when I meet with you, I say to you, Jonathan, I need to talk about you. And then how to, do you affect us and our future? By saying that, I'm putting the marker at the front end. I am letting you know that this conversation has consequences for his future. So I need for you to know that it is consequential. So I've been living in your head for two, three days. Now I'm telling you it is consequential. And I would say something like this. Jonathan, you're a good man. Uh, you got good character or you wouldn't be working here. I see a lot of potential in you. But I also see reluctance on your part to step into it. I'm going to help you with that. But I'm going to help you with that. 
for the betterment of the organization. You are here to serve this organization. So I'm going to help you get better for the betterment of the organization. So that's what I want to do. I want us to have, I want us to have a three month, three month personal development plan. And Jonathan, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, in the next few minutes when this meeting is over, think about three to five areas that you can improve in, name the areas, how you will improve and what will improvement look like. Got those three questions? The area, name the area, how will you improve and what will that improvement look like? So Jonathan, when can we meet again? Uh, how about if we meet in a couple of days? And two days later, we meet again. You come in with your list, but I have a list as well. Mm. So you came in, say, with five items. I'll be ready with five items. I will discuss your items. Then I'll give you my items. We will talk about all 10 of them. We'll merge them. We'll consolidate them. And we'll come up with five total on that plan. Because the plan is already there. What is it? How are you going to improve? How will we know? Okay, Jonathan, here's the plan. I want to meet with you once a month mm -hmm. for the next three months. Jonathan, at the end of those three months, we will know if you've made improvement. Mm -hmm. We will know that you have not made improvement. Because every month that we'll be meeting, we'll be talking about only one thing. Is there movement? Is there improvement? What needs to be adjusted? And at the end of three months, we will have the conse uh, consequential conversation, Jonathan, as to whether this is a place for you or not. Right. All right. Now I've given you a scenario. So Jonathan talked back to me and think about the person that you were talking about. If you were to use the plan I just gave you, a personal development plan with all the steps that I gave you, that'll take over a week to 10 days to, to create. Can you see yourself doing that? Yes, absolutely. Do you have any questions about that? No, I think it was super clear. That's really helpful. All right. So now let me let me dig just around the peripheral of that. What you have done is you've given a concrete plan to a person with a definite outcome. At the mm -hmm. end of three months, you're either gonna go this way or you're gonna go this way. And you are in charge of which way we go. And we did not wait till at the end of three months. We kept talking about this. Jonathan, we talked about this in the first month. Jonathan, we talked about the second month. And Jonathan, we still talked about the third month. Doesn't, doesn't look like it's gonna happen. Or Jonathan, you did really, really good. 
you benchmark them, you're doing exceptional, let's keep working on this. And then right. what I would do at that time, I would pivot from that role in his life to maybe a mentor coach in his life. And now you say to him, hey, Jonathan, do you want to do this for another three months? Let's identify some more issues. It just depends on how the third month goes. So the reason that you meet with him every month is, uh, I call this now, this is going to be really deep and profound for university students, okay, and senior leaders. I call that pee on the carpet. You know, like a dog pee? On the carpet. <laughs> yeah, I'm really deep. I'm, I know you are impressed with my depth. So, huh? if you've ever had a dog as a pet in your house, when, when do you correct a dog if it pees in the carpet? Right then, right? Right in the moment. You don't say, well, I'm going to make a sticky note and talk to them about this uh, at that annual evaluation. And that is why every month that you are meeting with them, you're correcting that person, you are instructing that person, you're directing that person, you're encouraging that person. That's great. So before Thank I, you. Before, you're welcome, Jonathan. Before I go on, uh, any anybody else? Yeah, Josh is here. You want to come up, Josh? Yeah. By the way, everyone, this is Lauren Rayleigh. You will, if you haven't already, I'm sure you'll be hearing more from her over the years. She's the coordinator for our college and takes care of all of her details, make sure everything runs as it should. So she'll be here to support you. Right, hey, Josh. Hey, Dr. Sam. I'm I'm the other Josh that's slightly taken offense to your other comments for the oh, other guy. I'm so no. sorry. <laughs> Let me be clear. Let me be concrete. Josh Nail. I want to be very concrete. Sorry about that abstract. It's okay. It's, it's good practice of the, the lesson. You know, one um, Josh would give another Josh a bad name, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I have the privilege of working alongside some of your friends at Victory Church in Atlanta. Um, my, my question for you is kind of the flip of, of this. Um, prior, I had worked underneath a or how do you, when you're working underneath a leader, one of my previous experiences, um, I, I was hungry for these four questions, um, but all they cared about as like the leader was that last one. How did, like, what, you know, the, I don't have my notes in front of me now, I'm, I'm thinking. Um, so how, how do you, who are is still maybe not serving, um, like I don't like a lot of the, my friends in this room. I don't have the executive say over my church, or I, I work in a, a fairly large organization um, now. But how do you how do you work alongside individuals when you're hungry for this process to walk through each of these four steps? Uh, but that's not something that's being provided to you. How do you work underneath? Like because you can't necessarily coach up all the time, um, and that's not my experience currently. But just something that I've walked through in the past, and I'm wondering how do I do that. Okay, just stay there on the line with me. Sure. So, uh, as a leader, do you have any direct reports? Uh, yes. How many? Um, I have one direct report, and then they are then next to Johnson. All right. 
Very good. Very good. So I know you can't always lead up. So this is what I need for you to say to yourself. Wherever I am in life, I'm going to do my best right now, but I'm also being prepared for the future. Right. So this gives you a great opportunity to, to practice what you will be doing up the road. Yeah. Because right now you have one direct report. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a short period of time, you're going to have two and then five and then ten. I mean, that's just how it grows. Right. Uh, so this gives you a great safe opportunity to practice at where you are. Because a lot of times you will not get what you're looking for, but you can give what you're not getting. Yeah. And so, so don't, don't look at life as a, as a snapshot, but see it as a movie, as a, as a video. And so say to yourself right now, I'm not getting it. There's that deficit, but there are others that I can help. And what I will do right now, I will reap down the road. I will sow right now and harvest down the road. Sure. So you, you, if you can take a long view of life, rather than that meeting or that person or that supervisor or that situation, and see how it fits into the big scheme of things, uh, that gives you the opportunity to do what you can do where you're at, even though you may not be able to do everything where you're at. Right. Do you, uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you, so I'm thinking, do you have like um, encouragement to questions for somebody who would, who has the desire for more, um, maybe the, the right ways to articulate how to ask for more clarity in, in some of these steps from leaders um, who are above you? And I don't know if that, well, can, if that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Most leaders, unless you just become a pest, you know, you want clarity about clarity about clarity, but unless you, uh, most leaders will be very responsive to you. And mm-hmm. then what I have found, if you will say to that leader, however you communicate, email, text, in person, however you do that, you say to the leader, hey, I have a few clarity questions. Uh, when's a good time for us to talk about them? Maybe 10 minutes. So you okay. meet with them. You just do that. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Uh, and then... You know, then go prepared with with what you were what. Now make sure that your clarity questions are actually clarity questions, not pushback questions. Right. Because <laughs> you yeah, know, okay. people start asking clarity questions, and next thing you know, that you're getting pushback from them. Mm-hmm. And and then the next time you ask for that same thing, you're not going to get it. Sure. That's so good. I think clarity questions clarity questions are good, and I think you can practice that with the one direct report you do have. And say to them, hey, help me become more clear. Uh, how, how can I be more clear? Mm-hmm. How could I have said it differently? Sure. Uh, what am I doing that leaves fuzziness? I think you will learn a lot about yourself by, you know, doing both, both parts of that. Yeah. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, Josh.
Anybody else? Okay. So we discover. I've talked to you about discovery. Let's talk about development. Let's talk about development. Discover, develop, deploy. So development is different from training. Development is different from training. Development is about a person. Development is about a person. Training is about a task. So in training, you teach people how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, who to do it with, how to do reports. It is, it is more of a how-to clinic. That's a training. Development is training. Uh, development is social skills, conflict resolution, solution thinking, attitudes, uh, leading up, leading down. Uh, development is how to deal with things you don't like, how to uh, ask your questions. So development is about the person. This is what I have discovered about churches. This is my discovery. Most churches are overtrained and underdeveloped. Overtrained and underdeveloped. Okay. I'm, go I'm gonna ask you all a question. And at the end of the question, if you think uh, you have that person in your church, wave back at me. So let me describe that person for you. If you have that person in your church, wave back at me. Most churches have that one person who is so good at getting things done. You give them a task, they get it done on time, under budget. You don't have to remind them. They are where they say they're gonna be. They uh, perform. They don't pester you with questions. They get it, they make it happen. They're the make it happen people. However, the same person while making it happen for you also rolls over people, walks over people, kills people, uh, makes issues for you with people. After that conference, after that thing that they, you ask them to do, after that is over, you are having to go through the church doing resurrection service, propping up people that that person ran over. If you have that person I just described in some shape or form, can you wave back at me? Yeah, yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. So these people are over-trained and underdeveloped. And you gotta go around saying, well, you know how she is. She does not mean anything. She just is overzealous. And you know, she just gets focused. And when she gets focused, then she, you know, sometimes loses sight of how she talks to people. You know, she's a really good person. Just overlook her. Well, how many times have you said that about that same person? That person is overtrained and underdeveloped. So development is about a person. So question becomes, how do you develop? You don't develop everybody at the same at the same level, let me see if I can do this sitting down. Can everybody see that much? All right, good, good, good. Thank you. Sign language is amazing. Uh, so 
these, this is how Jesus did it. So here's Jesus, JC. So here were the three, here are the 12, here is the, uh, the 70, and here are the crowd. The three, the 12, the 70, and the crowd. So Jesus did not treat people equally. He never treated people equally. He treated people fairly. He treated people fairly. Never treated people equally. He treated them fairly. So the three are the Peter, James, and John, the 12, the 70, Luke chapter 10, and the, and the crowd that followed him. So Jesus had di different development plans for each one of them. Let me see if this will work. The three, he developed their thinking. Thinking. The 12 were his organizers. The 70 were the doing people. And the crowd was public relations. All right, can you all see the blue and the black separately? Can you all hear me? Oh, can you talk about those again? Sorry. Thinking, organizing, 70 are there for doing, crowd is there for public relations. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He segmented, he segmented the people that he was leading. Uh, how many, how many of you get my uh, video every Tuesday called Tuesday with Sam Chan? Okay, two of you do. Wow. Okay. Uh, if you all will send me an email with your email address or something like that. Every Tuesday, I do a video about a minute and a half at the most on some big leadership topic in which I talk about if we give the wrong responsibility to the wrong people, then it's not going to happen. For example, if you ask your thinking people to do, to become your doers, nothing is going to happen. If you ask your doers to come up with a plan, like a thinking people, they can. Everyone okay? Say that again. Repeat one more time, please. Okay, sorry. Sorry. I'll say it again. Yeah, just ask me. Thinking, organizing, doing public relations. When you ask the wrong group to do something that they are not wired to do, you're not gonna get the benefit of everything. For example, I and I'm repeating myself now, if you ask thinking people to do something, very little gets done. You ask doing people to come up with a plan, they cannot come up with a plan. 
you, you want organizers to do your thinking, they cannot do that. The, 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 the context is pretty simple, which is to say that we've got to develop people and At his highest level, uh, at his most joyful level, and Sam, for some reason, we're having problems with the. Uh, I think for some reason you keep cutting out for all of us. Okay. All right. Where did I cut out? Did you catch me up? When you were talking about giving different people the wrong task, they can't handle it because they weren't made to be able to handle it. And then you cut out. Okay. Okay. That's fine. So when you give the wrong, you give the wrong task to people that does not fit them. So what did Jesus do? He took his three, the three. Listen, if I start cutting out on you, just wave at me and I will, I will reboot. Okay. So, Everyone okay so far, right now? Okay, good. So if, if, if I start freezing up, just wave at me, so that will tell me to, to re regroup over here on my side of things. So Jesus wanted Peter, James, and John to be the, the thinkers of the group. They were already friends before Jesus found them, and therefore he was able to say to them, hey, Come with me to the Mount of Transfiguration. And he took them to the highest level. He said to them, go with me to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he took them to the, well, I would say the lowest level in his life, where his sweat was like drops of blood, just because before his apprehension and subsequent uh, crucifixion. So he took them into places where others did not get to go. And I think that is why developing leadership in, in large forums is not the most productive way of doing things. Because the larger the crowd, the lower the level of, uh, of teaching. For example, I've got uh, one, uh, 14, 15 of you, I don't remember, don't know how many, but i got all of you, let's just say 15 of you on this call right now. If I was teaching the same material to 100 people, I would present it totally different and would not be able to say the things I've said to you. So the larger the crowd, the lower the level of your teaching. The smaller the crowd, the higher the level of your teaching. The conundrum is that as preachers, leaders, we like crowds. We like crowds. If you, you know, uh, give me 100 people, not 10 people. However, your level of teaching will be higher for the 10 than for the 100. So I have taught rooms thousands upon thousands of people in them. Uh, 
up taught crowds of over 40,000 people in one setting. And then I have taught one-on-one. -on -one. And I can tell you, anytime I can do the smaller group, I feel like I can be more in my zone than when I'm with a large group. Because with a large group, you're trying to be as shallow and as applicable to everybody. And that is why if you can get your head into a space of saying, I will have to segment my leadership. With some people, I will spend time. With some people, I will invest time. Let me say it again. With some people, I will spend time. With some people, I will invest time. Investment means there's return. There's return on investment, ROI. Spending time, you will do that with a lot of people. And you get to do both, by the way. I don't think in ministry you get to choose. You do not get to choose whether you spend time or invest time. But you do get to choose how much of that time you invest and how much of the time you spend. So don't get caught up in large crowds when you're doing leadership development. We're talking about development right now. It has to be done with a smaller group where you can actually say what you mean. They can look you in the eye. You can, they can ask you questions. You can ask them questions and you can have a reciprocity of conversation. So discover, develop, and the last one is deploy. So we talked about discovery. The four questions there, develop here, deploy. Deploy is how do I give people opportunities to serve? I think one of the greatest uh, challenges in the church is we invite people to be part of the journey, but we don't have a deployment plan. We don't have a deployment plan. A deployment plan means that if you, if I was coming to your church and I went through your process, at the end of the process, you will have an opportunity that will be ready for me to deploy me into, rather than, hey, now go find a place. Because by now you should know my proclivities, my interests, my passions, things I'm good at, things I'm not good at, things that bring me life, things that don't bring me life. And so you'll be able to deploy me uh, into that category. So I'm wrapping up this section uh, of our squirrel teaching. S stands for scarcity. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you if you have any questions, any comments, any takeaways. And then I wanna talk about what's happening in our world right now, why it is happening in the sense of uh, where you find yourself in leadership and uh, some, some ways to think about, some ways to think about. So, S stands for scarcity, Q stands for questions, U stands for unafraid, I stands for incremental increase, R stands for risks, R stands for relationships, E stands for eruption, and L stands for leadership. So we've talked about eight things uh, since we started this morning.
So let me pause for a minute and see if there are any questions, any suggestions, any takeaways. Yes, Josh, Mayo. Thanks, Dr. Shan. A uh, quick question on that last point that you talked about deploying leaders. Um, you know, in the church world, obviously, all of us, many times we have different systems, different growth tracks or different processes, pipelines to, quote unquote, deploy leaders. And a lot of those are done with gift assessments where, you know, we assess their gifts, their talents, their abilities. One of my questions is, do you, do you have any thoughts on if the best way to deploy them at the end of a process is by actually saying, you serve here or truly saying, all right, here's the 20 options that you can serve in, choose one of these, and then we give you kind of like a trial run in that area. The reason why I ask is I'm, I'm finding more and more people that even with a lot of personality tests done and, and showing where they might fit, they, they sometimes still have a lot of ambiguity on where they should go. Does that make sense? And so it's the idea of what does that deployment look like? Should we, should we push them more in a direction, hoping that it's a match based upon what we've read in their personality test? Or do we keep it a little bit more open-ended? Very good. My question for you, Josh. Josh, stay there, stay there. So did you hear all that sawing and drilling that I was hearing? No. No. You didn't hear any noise? No. That is crazy. That's crazy. I'm going to turn you up. They are drilling right on top of my head right now. So you just heard that. We just heard that. Yes. Can you hear that right now? Yes. Okay. All right. So can you hear me over that? Yes. You can hear me? Okay, good, good, good. So by I think you, you're right, Josh. You got to do both. You got to know where this person goes, but you also got to be fluid with it. So most processes are at least uh, two to three months old. You know, if I come into, into most churches, if you're going to put me anywhere, you, you, you have put me through some kind of process over two to three months. I think by the, by the time we get to the third month, you should have a very good idea where I will fit, where I will not fit, at least have two to three options for me. Now, part of it has to do with, we have this program, is there somebody who is talking to me personally throughout this whole journey so that I'm not just going through a program, but I have a mentor guide that is taking through it. So, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a paradigm that I work from. Here's my paradigm. Things don't go wrong, they start wrong. I'm gonna give it to you again. Things don't go wrong, they start wrong. So by starting, I'm talking about the program is a program, but if I don't have a mentor guide along the way, you will get to the third and say, oh my, we missed this one. There's got to be a way for you to be able to say to me, Sam, in, in month one, this is what we are seeing in your life. Are you tracking with us on that? No, I'm not. Okay. Month two. So I, you, if I go through that process, so it really takes a personal, I don't think there's a substitute of, for uh, 
let me say again. I don't think there's a substitute for personal, individual, hand-holding, uh, no assessment, no program, no teaching can ever replace that. Uh, from the, those who study the life of Jesus, Josh, they tell us, uh, especially in the Gospels, that Jesus was on this planet for, give or take a little, three and a half years, three and a half years. The first three years, they tell us it was only hand-holding. It was only in the six months, last six months, that he started giving them, doing different things. And so I think that is where we have to be, make sure that they have a mentor guide along the way. If you get to the end and you place them somewhere and then they can't uh, produce what you thought they were gonna produce, uh, that will happen. But that should not be the rule. That should be the exception. So I think it's going to be the if in every program, if you can create that personal touch for some, now the person who is doing the personal touch has to be highly trained with a you know with some discernment and some direction and some discretion. I'm not talking about prophetic kind of people. You know, I'm not talking about people who say, you know, I see you doing this. No, no, no heebie jeebie stuff. People who can people who can actually uh, walk with somebody, they can come to you and say, Pastor Josh, if you were to place Sam, here are two places you can place Sam in. So there's a recommendation from that sponsor that comes through there. Most programs lack the personal pieces in them. That's where the heavy lifting comes in. Uh, because you can train in a group, but you can develop mostly in a one-on-one -on -one or smaller group. I don't know if I've answered your question, Josh. You good? Yeah, okay. that's great. Thank you. You're welcome. Anybody else? All right. So I'm going to stop for, I'm going to ask each one of you this question. And I don't know how you're going to do that. Those of you who are sitting in the class probably will have to get up from where you're at to go over there. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. Uh, I have a question. So, so far, what is your takeaway? If, if you could give me one takeaway, what is your one takeaway? So, who wants to be first? All right. So I really liked. I really liked uh, incremental increase. Uh huh. Uh, I, it really stuck to me. I think, especially because I would say even Christian culture sometimes, when it comes to growth and expansion and and all of that, is that it has to be quick and and huge and and just it has to happen. And so, I just appreciated that perspective and. Um, really caused me to go introspective and say, hey, what am I approaching in life that way that I really just need to approach God's way? So I appreciated that point. It was really good. Yeah, I think uh, every leader has to keep asking themselves, why am, I in a, why am I in such a hurry? Why am I in such a hurry? What's the rush? Uh, is it fear of missing out for more? I mean, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, I was consulting with a client just last week, 
and he was talking about this, that, the other. So his eyes are always on the next, on the next, on the next. And I'm saying, what about the now? Because your next has been created now. Wow, your, yeah. next, your next is going to look like more of now. So if, you, if you're not focusing on the now, you're going to be always looking at the, at the next and the next and the next and the next. And so what's the hurry? I mean, what are you going to, you're going to miss out on the, the journey itself because you're in such a rush to get there. And when you get there, it will be like, how did I get here? And you don't have any context. You don't have any perspective. You don't have, you don't pick up life experiences in a hurry. You just yeah. get there. And then you're, whoa, I'm here. Okay, now what? You know, it's, it's like, if it's, it's like, you know, when a dog is chasing your car, when a dog is chasing your car, you want to slow down your car. You want to roll down the window. You want to ask the dog one question. Okay, Mr. Dog or sister dog, whichever it might be. Once you catch the bumper of my car, then what? What are you going to do then? You're going to get drugged down the road. You don't have a plan. And I think that's how a lot of leaders are. They're in a rush to get somewhere, but they don't know where and why the rush. Okay, Josh. Um, I think for, for me, I, I lived internationally prior to moving back to the U.S. about a year ago. Um, but I just have w walked through some moments that where your, your point about the idea of is this issue can make you wiser or, or suspicious. Uh, for me, I, I've had to, I've unfortunately made people pay the trust tax uh, just because I have walked through some just difficult situations uh, in terms of, yeah, that. So I think that was one of my biggest takeaways and it related when you were talking to Christina, um, your devotional on the Bible app for leadership pain. Um, myself and some of the members of our staff walked through it earlier this summer, but your day one talks about how pain is one of the ways that perhaps the main way God works grace into our lives. Uh, and so I think that that has intertwined with just that lesson of the suspiciousness versus being wiser for me has been a, a big right. takeaway for this round. Excellent. Excellent. Anybody else? Your takeaway? Um, I'll go. Okay. So my name is Holly. I know my, my tagline says NC Youth, but my name is Holly. Um, my husband and I serve as the district youth directors for the Assemblies of God in the state of North Carolina. And we are kind of in a unique position because although we're in a position of authority to a degree, we don't really have any authority. Um, you know, our churches are autonomous, so we don't have any authority to fire or discipline. And so we oversee our youth pastors. Um, and most of our youth pastors in our state are young. And so I think the biggest thing that I took away uh, from your teaching was on relationships, because we often encounter and it's not just our younger youth pastors. It's a lot of youth pastors that we will try to, uh, we've been in our position for three years, so it's gotten better. Um, but still often when we are calling them, checking on them, you know, how's your youth ministry going? What can we do? You know, oftentimes, especially when we call them, we won't get a response. They won't return our phone call even if we do have a relationship with them. And so oftentimes we're both kind of sitting there wondering, is it, are they not responding because they're too busy? I see them on social media, 
So, you know, why aren't they responding, you know, to us? And, um, you know, I just, I loved your diagram of, you know, and I don't know if it's a matter of trust or if they are just lazy or, you know, whatever it is. So, um, but I loved, uh, you know, what you talked about relationships and, um, you know, trust is a feeling and, you know, you said you earn, you earn their trust by decision-making. And so anyway, it was just, it was super good. And, you know, we're still trying to walk through that and develop those relationships with them. And so, but it was just really good. So thank you for that. Uh, Stay on the line, Holly, stay on the line. Uh, So when you call, are those calls about youth ministry or are those calls about that person? Um, I mean, it's usually both. We um, are super relational. So a lot of times it's most of the time, I would probably say, you know, 70% of the time we are calling to check up on them just in their youth ministry, especially, you know, during COVID we're not traveling. So most of our, um, you know, relationships with them has been through zoom or call or you know whatever so but 30 percent of the time you know we're calling or connecting just with them as a person so trying to meet with them uh you know grab lunch with them coffee with them so it's just interesting because some are super want to connect with us and then some don't so so i have a suggestion for you especially when i work with senior leaders uh, yep. If you could reverse those numbers from 70-30 to 30-70, uh, what I have found during these times, uh, Holly, is that very few leaders have actual friends. Right. I'm talking about actual friends. Who can talk to them about, so how are you, Holly? How's your, how is your family doing? Tell me. Uh, how are you dealing with all of this? Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me how has it affected you. Tell me about your extended family. Tell me about, so, and say nothing about what they do. Yeah. Ask them only, ask them only existential questions and not transactional questions. Uh, so what happens with leaders is they'll say, hey, how are you? How, how's the family? So tell me about the church. What are you doing here? Right. You right. know, so me and the family is the first 30 seconds and the next 10 minutes is about the church. Right. So you really didn't call me. You really didn't call me. You called to talk about business. Right. And I have found that very, very, very few people in ministry actually have friends that they can talk about without talking about church. Right. And so... uh I'm going to encourage you to somehow find ways to to uh, say, hey, just want to call and check up, not on what you're doing, but how are you? How's your health? How's the money holding out for you? How are the children doing? Are you keep, you know, how's schooling going in your area? Uh, how How is your family? How's your mom? I, I heard that she was uh, not feeling good. You know, if you can personalized things, if people know that you really care for them. Yep. I can tell you this, very, very few people have that feeling. 
especially, yeah. and I'm going to say something uh, about denominations right now, and I'm not, I have nothing against them, especially in denominational settings where everything becomes transactional and you've got to be on certain person's list, and then somebody's going to tell you about another opening somewhere in another church, and, and it, it just becomes like uh, everybody's trying to move, go somewhere, move somewhere, but very few people really have somebody who cares for them. Right. And so if, if, if you all can create something, something that will allow you to talk to them personally, and make sure you don't talk about church. You right. know, they start bringing up, you know, hey, we'll talk about that another time. I'll call you next week about that. Right now, I just want to check up on you. How are you? Let yeah. them hang up the phone saying, huh, it was different. Yeah. yeah. And shut them down and start talking about youth group. Say, I'll, yeah. I'll call you back. We'll talk another time. But right now, tell me, tell me what's going on, you know? And, and I think that is what, that will turn the corner there for you to be able to speak into their life. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. I see somebody else sitting in Dr. Allen's chair. Hey, Dr. Chan. Marty Sloan. How are you, sir? Hey, Marty. Long time no see. It's good to see you. you uh, my takeaway was excellent for my circumstance. And I just took a new church assignment in January. And there's definitely trust issues uh, with the existing staff and upper leadership. And so you talked about trust uh, questions reside at the lowest level of trust in the room. So because I'm, I'm a guy that likes open questions, lots of open dialogue, so that was huge. So thank you for sharing that um, because I'm trying to build trust with the team. So very insightful. Thank you, sir. So how many people in your executive level? Uh, well, uh, new paradigm, about nine. nine Seven okay. to nine, yeah. The previous was about two. And so, is, it, is it still a pretty strong board-driven church? No, no, not at all. It's it's pastor-led. It's, it's pastor-led, okay, church. good. Yeah. Those nine, uh, those nine, do you have any time with each one of them individually? Yeah, I do. Good, good, good. Because that is what it's going to take. Yeah. Because those individual meetings are going to bleed into your corporate meeting. The corporate meeting is going to bleed into individual meetings, and pretty soon... It'll be seamless there. Yeah, you you went into a church at a tough time. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, we had uh, we had twelve weeks, and then Josh launched the pandemic. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what Josh does. Which, which Josh are you talking about? Josh Mayo, of course. <laughs> of course, yes. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you so much for today. It's great to see you. Thank you. You too. You too, Martin. You talk to your dad. Say hello to him, please. I will do it. Take care. Thank you, Johnny Wade Sloan. Hey, Sam. Sam, how are you, man? Oh, this is Jonathan. So my question is, you know, I lead a church, uh, Bethany. We have about 100 full-time staff and maybe another 120 part-time staff. It's a pretty, it's a pretty large organization. Um, as I hear all of these letters, I keep thinking, I'm just reflecting on our organization and what cultures I think we do have and which ones I feel like we could work on. But if you were to take a stab at like holistically stepping into an organization and trying to get it to a place of health, what would be some initial moves you would make that would 
basically start to steer the whole church, the whole organization towards a healthy environment, a healthy culture. Cause I feel like you've laid out a really great healthy culture. And some of these just are standout points, but like what would be an initial, uh, I don't know if that's, if that's too big of a question or if it's no, something it's, that it's you good. Can... It's good. Uh, stay on the line with me. So, uh, you can't fix all of it at the same time, but you, you got to find the starting point, right? You got to get traction somewhere. Otherwise, you'll be all over the map and get diluted. You'll be an inch, uh, mile wide, an inch deep, rather than being an inch wide and a mile deep. So the question becomes, where do I start? Where do I get my tentacles on? Tell me about your highest level of executive leadership. How many in that group? There's, uh, I have seven executives and okay. uh, each of them just oversee large part, departments of our uh, staff. So next. Okay. Very good. No problem there. So you have seven, seven executives. So in my, uh, excuse me, putting in the spot, have you read uh, either Cracking a Church's Culture Code or the renamed book, uh, Culture Catalyst? No, I haven't, but I definitely want to after hearing today. I, I can't believe yeah, I haven't. Yeah. So let me see. I have. So this is what it looks like. It's called Culture yeah. Catalyst. All right. Uh, I would say to you the first thing I would do is to take the survey I talked about earlier the Sands and Culture Survey, and give it just to the seven. Give it just to the seven. That will give you empirical data to start from. So, for example, it will grade you in all seven. It is all mathematical algorithms. So mm. it will rate all, all those seven areas. And culture is C-U-L-T-U-R-E. And they all stand for, uh, for a word. I can give those to you if you want me to. But anyways it'll say, this is your best point and this is your lowest point. I would suggest find the, the one that you are strongest in and deconstruct it, reconstruct it, and take it higher. Then go to the next one. Don't go to the weakest one. Save the weakest one for the end because if the others get strong, as the others get strong, the weaker ones get stronger too. You know, when the tide comes in, the little dinghy goes up and the big yard goes up. They all go up. So start, what the mistake people make is they will start doing stuff at the, at the lowest level or the weakest link. I would not worry about the weakest portion. I would start with the, feed your strengths, feed your strengths. Great. And, uh, then I've also given you my cell number and my email. Feel free to connect if you want to, and we can talk oh, about more more offline. But I, the thing, the so the two things I want to take away from your question is one is you got to identify your culture, which I've given you a free resource to do that. And the second thing to do is to say which is the strongest and how can we make the strong strength the strongest most churches try to beef up their weaknesses and as i say ignore your weaknesses and build on your strengths and uh because your weaknesses get stronger as your strength gets stronger too 
but we can talk more about that offline if you want to, but I think those are good resources for you. Thank you. No, that's You're great. Welcome. I've Thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you. So, so, so glad you were on the line. Christina? Yes, it's me again. I know. Um, <laughs> I feel like um, you've articulated for me um, just really the story of, of my church. It's as, uh, with the incremental increase. That is our story. We planted from scratch with nothing, no money, you know, small team. Um, and it for the first 10 to 11 years, it's just been very slow, small in, incremental growth. Um, we never had a dip. It just continually, very slowly continued to go up. Um, and I find myself, you know, in a room like this, I'm with you know, some very large churches. And um, so, you know, through the years that there's kind of feeling, well, what am I doing wrong? I go to all the conferences, I read Culture Catalyst and gone through it with my staff. And so there's always been this, you know, sense of like, well, why are we not exploding? We're doing, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but I just love how I, I almost felt like the the wording that you gave us, the the language kind of made me feel more like, we're, we're in the best place that we can be with that incremental growth um, instead of just this massive explosion and not being able to handle it. So um, along with that, I feel like the whole eruption um, segment, <laughs> like, so we've been on this slow, steady growth, and then we experience eruption after eruption after eruption. And even with the pandemic, it feels like, I mean, every pastor in America right now is wondering who's still in my congregation. Are they, do I still, do they still see me as their pastor? You know, are they, are they still here? Um, because you have about a third that are show. Well, at least for us, I have about a third that are showing up on Sundays. We have probably about a quarter who are um, online. And then the rest of them, I have no idea where, where they're at or what, you know, so so with that, now I'm going, well, what does that mean? I've had this incremental increase for many, many years, and now all of these eruptions, and now I'm like, now, now what? So it's kind of an observation, a revelation, but at the same time, I'm just thinking, what in the world does this newest eruption mean for us? So Yeah, and, and, I, and I don't think, uh, I think any conclusion you draw right now is going to be premature. I mean, think about how much our world has changed in the last three months. Mm -hmm. How much our psyche has changed in the last three months. The way we think, the way we act, the way we are around others. How much has shifted in the last three months? So right. who knows what the next three months holds for us? So any conclusions drawn right now will be premature, especially conclusions that you start acting on. So at this point, I think we got to plod. Keep plodding away, keep plodding away, steady Eddie, uh, steady Christina, steady Joel. Just keep, keep steady, 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 steady in the direction that you're going. And uh, uh, don't no, no major uh, course corrections, no major programming corrections. Just, just stay, stay in the direction that you're in. And I think, I think you'll be, you'll be fair. You'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? And then I have another five minutes to conclude with you. Oh, should hi. I let you just... Hi, I'm Nina. How are you? Nina Schmidt. 
I uh, serve in Washington, D.C. at National Community Church. And okay. I, I am just most struck by um, your section on, on questions that, that uh, not asking what should we do, but how should we be thinking? I think that's such an important word, particularly for this year, right? When, when, you know, pivot is the name of the game. And I think those of us, and and I would probably classify myself as a, as a problem solver. I do think that that is one of the skills that I bring to the table. However, I think what I'm taking from what you were saying was that the, the warning in that is to not move too quickly to fix it meetings or to, to solutions. And, um, and, you know, to be reminded to, be thinking about, well, what's the way that we should be thinking? And I think that's more important than ever right now because the future um, will look nothing like what we've experienced in the past. And I've heard more and more pastors say in this season, all of the tools in my tool belt, everything that I need to do, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't exist anymore. It's like, we're all, we're all kind of fresh. So just that I, for, versus feeling discouraged by that, that idea of stop and, and think more about how should I be thinking, um, you know, and, and so I was really encouraged by that. I think that's going to shape even just a lot of how I lead going forward, head, headed back home. So thank you for that. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. Very good.